Merry Christmas, everyone, and I hope Christmas Eve is finding you well and healthy, or whenever you are watching this, I am glad that you are taking time out of your week to worship with us. And we find ourselves today in the final week of Advent. I mean, Advent, the season of waiting, reenacting the, the nation of Israel waiting for their Messiah for, for centuries and centuries, and we find ourselves reflecting on the, the fact that we are waiting for God to come again. And this year, Pastor Ryan and I wanted to go through the traditional church calendar of Advent and use, use the scriptures that, that our brothers and sisters all over the world and lots of different denominations are using, not just our denomination. And it's been, it's been a difficult journey for me. I felt so, uh, I don't know, constrained a little bit, but in a good way, because I, I've been fascinated with going through these scriptures that, that people all over the world are reflecting on at the same time. And in the church calendar, this, this season of Advent comes from a Latin word. So nerd alert, nerds, listen up, let's unite. So it's, it's a Latin word, and to, to break it down even further, this Latin word means to come. So we're, we're reflecting on, like I said, God came to the world in Jesus. And the good news is that God will come again. Jesus will come again. And we find ourselves living in this space between. So let's read this passage that our brothers and sisters all over the world are praying through and thinking about on, on this week and, and today. So uh, turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, up in the north of Israel, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So before we go any further, this is first century Israel, and they were waiting for a Messiah who would be a descendant of David. And we just read that Luke is putting a giant neon flashing sign here, giving, giving the readers, uh, uh, calling a shot of where he's going, highlighting that a descendant of David was about to come into the world. So, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Meaning, you're about to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be called the Son, not only of David, but the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. 
And that can be translated, hey, let's, let's go. <laughs> May it be done to me according to your word and other translations. And then the text says the angel left her. So this is the story uh, that happens just before Jesus's birth, written by Luke. Today, I wanna to take you to the story written just after Jesus's death that Luke writes. So let's go over to Luke chapter 24 and read one verse here. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Seven miles, seven miles. Again, this is really nerdy, and I came across this uh, a few months ago when we were doing our sermon series on, uh, on uh, hospitality. It's the same text, so if, if you're, you're paying attention and you've been with us for a few, uh, few months, you'll realize, you'll remember, hey, we just, we just looked at this passage. But here, this little detail, these guys were going seven miles away from, from Jerusalem. And, and in, in the text, this ancient text, details like this matter. Remember, this is before Gutenberg. They didn't have a nice uh, leather-bound, composite leather-bound Bible. This is, this is handwritten on paper, very, very valuable. Why in the world would they mention seven miles? Well, Bethlehem was seven miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem. And, and we're, we're in this process of, of looking at the story of Jesus' birth, the first time God came to earth. And Luke, a lot of scholars believe, Luke is giving us a literary clue that we read these stories together, Jesus' birth, but also this, this, uh, this conversation that happened on the road to Emmaus. And Luke continues in verse 14 of chapter 24. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Here's these two disciples. They thought Jesus was dead. Can you imagine that? Like you had seen Jesus do amazing things, heard these mind-blowing, heart-exploding, in a good way, teachings. You had placed your hopes on him that he is the one that my ancestors have been waiting for. And now he's gone. I can't imagine that level of disappointment. And one of these disciples, I won't read the whole uh, passage of Luke chapter 24 to you. I'll put it in the sermon notes on version. You can see that there for yourself. I'll just sum it up. This, one of these disciples, Cleopas, asks Jesus in disguise. He says, wait a minute, are you the only one that doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? Like the whole city was talking about it. And then Jesus has this moment with a twinkle in his eye and says, what things? And I almost feel Cleopas in his disappointed state going, well, <laughs> Jesus was a prophet. And I think I, I've never noticed that before. He doesn't at this point call Jesus a king. That's where his hopes were set. But he's explaining to this stranger on the road that Jesus was this amazing prophet. He'd done all these miracles. The dead were raised. The blind were given sight. Uh, the captives were set free, and now he's like saying, we thought he was going to be the king of the Jews, the king of the world, and usher in God's kingdom, but he was a prophet. We hoped he'd save us, but 
he died three days ago. And well, some of the women that were traveling with us, well, they went to go take care of his body, but they couldn't find it. We're trying to work this out. Um, these ladies, they said angels told them that he was alive. And then there's this phrase in Luke chapter 24 that, that keeps popping out to me. We had hoped. We had hoped that Jesus was the one. We had hoped he would kick Rome out of our land. We had hoped he would save us. When we come to Christmas, sometimes those feelings pop up. As we start to reflect on the year that has just passed, as we start to reflect on, there's so many emotional triggers, the sentimentalness, and, and sometimes we feel like we, we should only feel positive things, but sometimes it comes like a, like just like a, a, at the beginning, maybe a pebble in your shoe, these thoughts. We had hoped by now that this hard time would be over. I mean, it's Christmas, but we're still dealing with this. We had hoped that our business would make it through. I mean, we were hanging on and we hoped it would make it through, but ah, it's not gonna make it. We had hoped that, that we wouldn't lose our job. We had hoped that, that we would have another one before we lost our job. Or I had hoped this year I would have a better circumstance than I find myself in right now. We had hoped that our nation would come together, right? We had hoped that families would come together. We were hoping that we wouldn't remain fractured and, and apart from other people. Christmas, we'd hoped, we'd hoped that injustice would have ended generations ago. Haven't we figured this out already? Maybe at Christmas time, you're, you're thinking, we had hoped that our marriage would last. We'd hoped that our children would grow up to serve Jesus. We'd hoped that we would find a spouse by now. There's so many things that, that, that can creep into our head. And the name of that feeling of letdown, and confusion, angsty, that sadness, the name for those is all like summed up together. The name for those feelings, it's disappointment. Here in the final week of Advent, where we feel like we should feel all the warm fuzzies of Christmas Eve and, and watching Will Ferrell play Elf, and we can feel guilty when those little thoughts creep in that wait, we're not supposed to feel disappointment. But lately I've been reading all this stuff and seeing TED Talks and, and that sort of thing. I, I love listening to sociologists and there's a group of them that say, the primary American emotion is disappointment, that feeling of letdown. And they, they say this because of the American myth of progress, meaning there's this lie we start believing, especially if you're like middle class and from America, we believe this lie that says life will always be up and to the right, like on a, on a, on a chart, on one of those businessy spreadsheets. Hey, things are always getting better. The sales are always up. The happiness quotient is always rising. Uh, some people call this the gospel of upward mobility. And it's what most Americans believe it's what most Americans believe should be. And it's the cause of so much hidden pain and trauma in the American life. And then you pair that with the secular view of reality. 
And that says that suffering has no role in life and it has no meaning or purpose in life. It just happens. There's, there's no redemption and there's no meaning other than just surviving and there's no meaning other than pleasure. So pff, get what you can and, and try to avoid pain as much as possible. That's what the culture outside of the church tells us. And so when you come up against a tragedy, a death or unemployment, and you have no meaning to assign to that pain, and it, it's the kind of thing that drives your life to just blocking out pain, just numbing out. So these sociologists that, that wrestle with these, these dynamics, they have this formula for happiness that I'm fascinated with. They say happiness equals reality minus the expectations. <laughs> I mean, Ow, ouch. <laughs> I'm also a fan of irony too. You want to be happy? I mean, just take what's real and get rid of all the expectations. Get them all out of that. But if we, if we take a moment to, to reflect on that, it's, it's what we get when we expect a life of ease and upward mobility. We're going to be disappointed because life isn't like that. No matter how educated you are, how much money you have, how, how emotionally healthy you are, life throws curveballs at us. And it's full of suffering and setbacks no matter where you come from or how much stuff you got. Whatever it is. But when you expect life to be hard, ironically, that's not a gloomy thought. Like for the most part, it's good. If you can relate to the lyric of Oh Holy Night, it's, and they make it sound so nice in that Christmas song, the weary world rejoices. Do you feel like that might be a anthem for you this Christmas? The weary world rejoices in the midst of the pain of life. Over the years, so many things have come into our life that would get us down. We've put our hope in the quasi-religion of our secular age. Do you know what that is? It's politics. We thought politics could solve our problems of the human condition, but it's just a mess. We've put our hope, not you and me, but we, like as a culture, America has put our hope in secular humanism. We've put our hope in this like human uh, impulse to help people and like, okay, maybe if, if humans are just getting better and better and always up and to the right, maybe we can put an end to injustice, in particular racial injustice. Like, you know, our, our nation, uh, we, can, we can figure this out, but we could never fix it just with human, humanity doesn't have what it takes to fix those problems. We need something bigger to bring us together, the love of Jesus. Generation after generation, we put our hope in these things. Some of you have put your hope in the people in the church, but it turns out that people are human and they're gonna mess up. They're fragile and people are deeply in need of the mercy of God, but then we take that and put it on the whole church and say, the church failed me. A lot of us, you know, feel, especially at this time of year, that disappointment. And then we go the second mile and then we beat ourselves up for it, which is extremely helpful, right? But what if, let's think about this differently. What if disappointment isn't only a bad thing? What if there's a secret little gift 
in this feeling of disappointment? Let's ask a different question about it. What if disappointment is an emotional signal from our body that our hope was set on the wrong thing? After all, we've got a hope for something. Hope needs an object. It must have some, it's gotta, it has to attach itself to something to aim for a better future just over the arrest. What if disappointment comes with this gentle invitation from the Holy Spirit to recenter our hope, recalibrate it? That maybe that feeling is an indication that our, our inertia is taking us away from something that's solid, like hoping about our future and putting all that in God's kingdom and what God can do. Think about that. Disappointment. There's a synonym for it called disillusionment. Doesn't that sound fancy? Disillusionment. We all think disillusionment is a bad thing. We think about disillusionment and people deconstructing their faith or, or people who are just atheists. They're disillusioned with religion. It has a negative connotation. But if you break that word down, it's not all bad. To be disillusioned is to like have our illusions removed from us so we have to face reality. Remember Satan's specialty? It's lies. Jesus calls him the father of lies and all he does is lie. Satan specializes in illusion and lies. And Jesus' specialty is reality. Jesus' specialty is truth. You shall know the truth and it will set you free. So what? What if? What if when we feel, not if we feel disillusionment, when you feel it, what if rather, instead of asking, why has God let me down? What if we asked a different question and said, what was I putting my hope on that was the wrong object? When did my hope go outside of Jesus? When, when did I detach from the vine? Um, and you know what? I wish it was all like as simple as saying, well, brothers and sisters, you know, as followers of Jesus, let's just hope in Jesus and he will never let us down. Pastor Marie, come on out. Let's start singing that. He'll never gonna let, he's never gonna let us down. I don't know why I shifted into a Southern accent there, but we sing that and I believe that song. But you know how when we worship together and we have the, the copyright information, I love that song, I love the melody, it's great. I would put a few asterisks in that song <laughs> because it's, it's not just a switch that we can flip and say, okay, I'm facing all this stuff, I'm putting my hope in Jesus. That's a great thing and it's absolutely true at the 50,000 foot in the air level, but boots on the ground level, what does that look like to put our hope in Jesus? Because it's true. God's love will never let us down. But let's be honest, not just religious for a moment. Do you ever feel like God has let you down? I have. At times, as a pastor, at times I have felt let down by God. Even when my, I thought my hope was in Jesus. I can relate to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. I had hoped that Jesus would Fill in the blank. I'd hope Jesus would do this or that. I'd hope Jesus would show up in this way. 
I'd hope Jesus would get on my agenda and follow my plan for life. So, taking it down to the boots on the ground level, what does this mean for you and me to put our hope in Jesus? Well, go back to Luke 24. Do you, did you notice that he doesn't name one of the disciples, the second disciple? We have Cleopas. But Luke didn't forget his name. <laughs> he was very detailed and he interviewed so many people to, and he set forward, you see in the introduction in chapter one, like he wanted a detailed account of Jesus's life. He was a scientist, basically, the physician. He didn't forget. He left this disciple anonymous on purpose. I'm in good company here. The Bible scholars say that the second disciple is anonymous because it represents you and me. We're supposed to put ourselves in that story because all of us will come to this point in our road of our journey of life where we just feel let down. This is why so many first century Jews rejected Jesus. They refused to believe he was the Messiah because he left them. They refused to believe Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't muster an army. He didn't kick Rome out of there. He didn't campaign for lower taxes in the name of injustice. I say that because, you know, this is an era in history where the tax rate was 80 to 90%. And most of the people living in Israel were basically living in slavery on their own land. And yet here comes Jesus coming through and teaching doesn't say a word about politics. And people see that he came and went and he was still in power. It was the same old story for them. But because of that, so many of them rejected Jesus. If this is what the king of the Jews is going to do and this kingdom of God is he's ushering in, no, that's not for me. But We need the same thing now as those people needed back then. We need what Paul talks about in Romans 5. By the way, the Apostle Paul was a Jew who didn't accept Jesus at first, but he did come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He says, what we need now is a hope that doesn't disappoint us. And so what this looks like for me is not some like, Zen state of, I'm just going to, it's my reality minus expectations. It's not a Zen state. It's it's like a moment by moment awareness of what am I hoping for? Where is is my identity coming from? Where is my stability coming from? It's learning to retrain my heart and my mind to point towards Jesus. Where is Jesus? The difficult time comes. Okay. You can name that. That is reality. But also say, all right, where's Jesus in this? Because Jesus is going to get me through this. This isn't the end. My hope is on the other side of this. But my hope isn't in a way to numb out the pain that I'm going through. I want to challenge you to recenter your hope on something that doesn't fail you. I want to challenge you to to take a look at what this looks like in your life. Make a list of what you're hoping for. Do a hope audit <laughs> and make a list of I'm hoping this happens, I'm hoping that happens. And maybe you need to give those things to God. Maybe it's for you a ceremony where you write all these things down and you pray and say, Jesus, 
I'm releasing the outcomes of all of these things I'm hoping for. I release it to you. And it's, like I said before, it's not a switch you can flip, but it's a daily recalibration pointing towards like, and when I'm doing this, I'm picturing uh, driving a boat across the ocean. It takes lots of recalibration. You don't just set it and forget it or else you're going to wait. You're going to wind up miles and miles off course. But a moment by moment awareness that Jesus is with you in the midst of your circumstances, which by the way, is so much of what Christmas is about. You know, we should, should call him Emmanuel, God with us. So maybe you're filled with a great hope in Jesus today, or maybe you're feeling like the second disciple on the road to Emmaus. No matter where you are, I wanna pray for you right in this moment. And let's have a moment where we recalibrate our hearts together. Dear Heavenly Father, would you please search us? Will you please point our minds back to you and put them in you and what you say about us and what you say about this words? Bend our hearts back towards you, Lord Jesus. Search our hearts. I pray that you will come to every person who's feeling like they're, they're disillusioned and like they've been let down by life, let down by you. And I pray that they will feel you in this moment tangibly and that you will comfort them. God, thank you. Thank you for coming to us, and we are waiting for you to return again. We place our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Merry Christmas. So glad that we could spend some time together, and I can't wait until next week. We have a very special message coming your way. Last one of this year. Oh my goodness, it's gone so fast. So until we're together again, make sure you reach out to us at sgbic.com. And I want to say a blessing over you and yours uh, on this Christmas season. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you. And this Christmas, may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.